This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online, and you know uh, what happens when you uh, when you take a slinky, you know the toy that walks downstairs alone or in pairs. You take this this coil metal thing. They have plastic ones too, but if you take one and you you hold it in one hand and you kind of and hold it out and let it and let the one end you hold and let the other end just stretch down toward the floor or the ground, you know, depending on where you are, if you're inside or outside, and you just let it hang there. Don't let it touch the floor, but just kind of just let it hang, and you hold it out. And when you let go of the slinky, what happens is the bottom part, the part that's hanging closest to the floor or the ground, that will stay put. It'll just hang there, right where where it was before you let go of the thing, and the rest of the slinky will fall down, and and until it catches up to the bottom. The part that's already hanging there, and once that happens, then the then the whole slinky will fall to the ground. It's uh, I guess physicists are saying what's going on. If I have the explanation correct, uh, gravity is holding the you know, this thing you know uh, uh, hanging down to the ground, and it's pulling at the top of it, and, and the coil is pulling against as well. So when so when the top is coming down, it's like the, the coil is pulling the bottom up at, at the same time as gravity is pulling the top down, and and the top is you know gravity has a little more force or something going on there. I, I I don't have the exact explanation, but once that all comes together, then gravity wins and it all falls to the ground. Uh, I told that little factoid to my mother-in-law. Um, about four and a half years ago now, maybe a little more, uh, two days before she died. Uh, she was in the hospital. She'd been there for, at that point, I think about nine days. And she had pancreatic cancer, and she was not, she was not going to live for much longer. We knew that at that point, that there was no fighting back from where she was. And on that particular day, she was in and out of awareness she was you know, she could talk a little bit to us uh, she you could tell that she was listening here and there but sometimes she would just be out and um, if, if, if memory serves it was a Friday evening or something and I leaned in and I just I said to her I asked her I said would you uh, want to do you want to hear something interesting because just a couple of days before that uh, I learned about this little factoid about a slinky 
And I mean, it's true. It really works. Now, I don't know if my explanation for how it works is correct, but but it, it does work. It does do that. And so I just learned about it, and I leaned in and asked her if she wanted to hear something interesting. And she did. She very hushed voice. She said yes. And so then I told her the story, and I said, "Isn't that wild?" or weird, or something like that, and she laughed. I think she also laughed because I, I think I knocked something down in while I was telling the story or something. I, I don't know. Memory is hard to get itself, but she laughed. And I, I do believe that was probably the last time that she ever laughed. And I felt it an honor that I was at least part of that uh, coming toward the end of her life. <clears throat> but, you know, and, and speaking of laughing, and anybody... That's that's close to me. Will tell you this. You know, Amy and Hayden will will tell you, and then my my mom and dad, and my brothers and my sister, they'll they'll tell you that I like to crack jokes, uh, to crack wise. I'm a I'm a bit of a smartass, and uh, I you know, I insert jokes frequently, and my father-in-law was a really easy mark for me. Not that he was easy to make fun of. Not that, not like that, but or make jokes. But he, he was easy to make jokes too, because he would, he would laugh. You know, he just, he just, he, he must have enjoyed my, my wry sense of humor, what, however, however uh, it should be described. He would, he would enjoy it, and he would laugh. And when he laughed, his face would just would light up. And his eyes would get, he'd squint his eyes and they'd turn into these, these half circles. You know, like you, like you take a half, like you take the moon when it's, when it's just a sliver and you just turn it so that it's, it's horizontal. It's like that. He had both of those. And in fact, um, my wife, Amy, uh, She'll do the same thing it, on the on the rare occasion now that I crack her up because I mean she's heard it already. So, but when I do crack her up, she makes that face. So I see that again, and um, it's uh, you know it was really one of the things I liked about <clears throat> my father-in-law that that I could get him to laugh. Um, and I'm telling you all this because uh, this is what I would have said. Uh, today, earlier today, uh, had I thought of it at the time and not five hours later when I did think of it. Um, earlier today, uh, this is May 4th, when I'm recording this, may the 4th be with you. Uh, I held up the Spock hand. It's just <laughs> Anyway, um, I know, it's not the same thing. I, I know, it was a joke. Uh, we, it was the, the, um, Commitment Day, uh, the, inter the the day that we brought the remains uh, of my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. Uh, my mother-in-law died on, on September fifteenth, two thousand thirteen, and my father-in-law died on October thirteenth, uh, two thousand seventeen. Did I say September fifteenth? It's September fifteenth, two thousand thirteen. That was my mom or my mother-in-law, and October thirteenth was uh, uh, of last year was my father-in-law which coincidentally that was uh, Amy and I that was our uh, that was our wedding anniversary uh, it would have been our 16th wedding anniversary same day and which it, it, yeah, I, it's yes it's a bittersweet makes it a bittersweet moment when it's your anniversary that now it's also the day that we re remember that Amy's dad died but it, it's it's also kind of a 
more of a special thing, I think. I don't know, maybe not, but I, to me, I, I feel that way. It's just, it's, it's more, we remember him too, you know, when that comes. It's just like, it's, that's a date we're not going to forget. And um, not that we'd forget it anyway. Um, so we set it up then that, uh, well, both of them were cremated, and Amy and I held on to uh, her, her mom's cremains. Uh, I guess that's what they call it. I guess that's what the kids are calling it. We held on to them, uh, um, and, and she sat on a dresser in our bedroom. And my brother-in-law, uh, uh, Amy's brother Cam, and his wife Missy, they held on to uh, their dad, uh, Stan, that's his name. Uh, Amy's mom's name was Sandy. And uh, they held on him, and they had it in a, in a place in the living room, I think, uh, on a table. And, and Cam would say that he'd walk by and, and talk to dad now and again. Um, I, I, I would walk by and pat the, the container with the ashes. I don't know if you'd call that an urn. It's more like a box kind of thing, but I suppose it's an urn, but whatever. I would, uh, and I'd pat that every now and then. Now, <clears throat> uh, today, uh, we brought it out to Fort Snelling. Uh, my father-in-law was a veteran. He served, he was stationed in Korea. Uh, this was after the Korean War, but he did serve in the Vietnam War. And so he was, he was a veteran, and, and as a benefit of being a veteran is, is you get a burial plot in a military cemetery. And, and when the time came, so we held on to mom and waiting for dad to, to go. And uh, when that time came, then they set up a date where to do the ceremony, which is really quick. It's a, it's a, it's a quick thing. You get there, they tell you to get, they tell you where to get to, and they say, okay, now, um, you know, you, you should be there by 15 minutes to the the time that the ceremony is going to take place, which is at one o'clock today. And they say it, and they take 15 minutes to do it. You get 15 minutes, and the actual ceremony takes maybe five of those minutes, and and then you get the rest of the time to, you know, visit a little, maybe say some words, which uh, what I just told you would have been what I would have said at the thing had I thought of it at the time. <clears throat> I didn't think of it until, like I said, five hours later. I was sitting there thinking, oh, man, I could have said that. When I was sitting down to get the show notes ready, and I knew I was going to talk about this at the beginning, and I just started, it started flowing, and I just went, wow, you know, I could have said this. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I was a little, I was a little choked up. It was, uh, it was something. So, they, so what happens is, okay, you get to the, the little area where, um, where uh, the... Ceremony will take place, and um, you put uh, the two. We put the two urns in a little, on a little stand they had there, and um, there's military guard, a bunch of uh, um, you know, older fellas, a lot of older fellas. So as I said, remark to Amy when we were leaving, says, you know, uh, those guys uh, are pretty old. <laughs> I hope they have younger ones that will come in and step into their shoes later I'm sure they will but these guys were they, these guys were fairly up there and they, they say a few words uh, and then they do a 21 gun salute and oh they warn you it will be loud and it was it was loud my dad talked about it later he says when he was in the service um, he says you know when you're in training and you're in a gun range this is you got guns going and going and going. That's and they don't and they didn't give you ear ear protection there. So he says it was you'd hear that kind of noise. It was loud, 
and and then they had two trumpeters to play taps. And boy, taps is one of the saddest tunes there is. And they did it in a kind of a round. One would one would play a, pe a piece, and then the other one would repeat the piece, and you know, and then they back and forth they would do that. And I haven't found out quite yet. I need to talk to my younger brother. I think he might know. Uh, why there was two trumpeters? If it was two trumpeters because there were two people being uh, being uh, honored, or whether it was just something they do, I don't I don't I don't know the answer to that. I'll try to find it out. And uh, yeah, it was it was quick. Uh, they did their thing. Um, they handed the flag to, uh, to my my brother-in-law, and then Amy got the, the certificate. And you know, but they you know the fellow that was handing. Uh, my brother-in-law, the the flag was telling him, you know, you know, the military, you know, on behalf of the United States, you know, that you know we honor your your father's service and, and things, of, words of that nature. I, I I don't have it exact, but it, boy, let me tell you, it kind of gets to you. You know, you, you you there's it's so easy to be anti-military. It's so easy to to think of them as not. Oh, I don't know. There's there's a song by the band uh, uh, Ten Thousand Maniacs. Uh, Geez, I wish I could remember what it was called, and it's it's about a, a fellow going off to war, and she you know she says they're great at making the Natalie Merchant wrote it, and she says in there that the they're great at making soldiers, but not so good at making men, and I said, I don't know about that. Okay, you, you don't like the military, you don't need you don't like the fact that it's needed or you know, whatever, but just I, you know these guys these guys had class, <laughs> I would say. And it was uh, it was good, you know, to see them salute and and do what they did. So then, um, yeah, uh, uh, Amy's brother got upset a few words. Uh, there was a friend of the family that said, you know, told about how what a good couple these 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 two people were and how friendly and welcoming they were, and and all that. And um, and and then we milled about for a little bit and decided we all a few of us went somewhere to have lunch and and then we came home and I took a whole day off of work I didn't have to work this this evening and I just you know it was nice it was uh, it was good so uh, I will say that um, you know I never uh, in all the time you know from the moment I met Stan and Sandy all the way through Amy and I getting married and our years of marriage and well, right on up to the their well to the end of their time Never felt unwelcome by them. I mean, the moment I met them, you know, it's 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 kind of a trope that the that the the fella dating the daughter, you know, gets intimidated by the dad. And and Amy told me that that um, you know guys would be frightened of her dad. And I said, really? Because I I never felt that from your dad. I just always felt uh, comfortable with her parents. Oh, I'm sure there was a little awkwardness right at the very beginning. But uh, they were always very kind and welcoming and friendly and fun and enjoyed laughing. Um, and it, it, was, it was good to know them both. And I'm, I'm glad that I got to be part of their family. Um, and they are together again, I guess. I mean, I don't believe in an afterlife or any of that kind of thing. But if you do, you know, they were together the moment you know, Dad died and caught up with Mom. But... Uh, you know, it's a, it was a good day for this, and I'm going to start to ramble. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to head to break. 
a little bit early, but why not? Um, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com, and and uh, I'll be back in a moment or two, and whatever. I'll be back. No, speaking to ten thousand maniacs. Hey, this is Danny Potts from the Kentucky Ghost Chasers, and you're listening to Z Talk Radio. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Z Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Well, let's see. Um, I guess apparently, uh, well, not apparently, it did happen. There was a, a White House Correspondents Association dinner, something that happens every year. Uh, and it happens in, in, in Washington, D.C., which, of course, it's the White House. That's where that is. Uh, and it's the... The, the press corps that uh, that covers uh, the president and, and government and all that stuff out there in Washington. And they have this dinner, and uh, they have people speak. And some years it gets to be uh, a bit, you know, a bit raising of some eyebrows, I guess you could say. And this, this past week or weekend, whichever it happened, uh, whenever it happened, uh, one of the uh, speakers, a comedian named Michelle Wolf, uh, apparently ruffled a few feathers. 
she got up there and uh, she did her she did a 20 minute talk or so and she it was a roast and this is it's not unprecedented this is what they do uh, they'll they'll do this kind of stuff where they 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 needle uh, the press that's there they needle the political the politicians that are there they needle the presidents you know they do all this stuff and needle might be with some of the people that have done it it might be that's about on and others maybe like Michelle wolf it's a little um, it's a little kind because <laughs> she really went after uh, the people there uh, she you know as the as, as, as the phrase goes, uh, she spoke truth to power, I think. I watched the talk that she gave. And it, it's the kind of comedy that tends to make people uncomfortable. And I don't, I, I don't always respond really well to that kind of comedy. It depends. It's, a, it's just... It's, it, but she did get me laughing a few times. Uh, she had the crowd laughing a few times. But uh, uh, she also, you could also, they would have shots of the crowd and a lot of, uh, a lot of very stern-looking faces <laughs> out there. And she's up on, the, you know, she's up front, and there's a, a, a dais or a dais or whatever they call it, with you know, a table up there with with the dignitaries, dignitaries uh, 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 seated up there, and I guess each of them will get up and make a a bit of a speech. And uh, notably missing was uh, the president himself. He wasn't there because he's a chicken shit. Uh, at least I think that's why. Um, anyway, so she just she laid into. She laid into the press corps. She laid into Republicans. I think she laid into Democrats a little bit. She gave herself a few knocks, and and she and, and she got a bit of a pushback. <gasps> oh, how dare she! Oh, and especially, I seemed to, I, I saw a lot of stuff that uh, um, seemed to really focus on what she said about uh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was the the White House uh, spokes uh, press secretary. Right, that's what she is, right? Um, and 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 a lot of people interpreted uh, they must not have watched it or read what she said about her because there was nothing about how Huckabee looks or Sanders. I'm not sure, but it's nothing about how she looks. She did say that uh, Sarah takes facts and burns them, and with the ashes she makes a nice smoky eye. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I have the words exactly the way she put it, and by smoky eye she means you know, eye shadow kind of thing. Because you know, and and that's that didn't, isn't saying anything about her looks. Just saying some of the makeup that she does and how, and where she gets her makeup from burning the facts. Um. So that that was it seemed to be a little bit of a uh, of a misinterpretation of what she said to to hear that she was going after Sarah. Huckabee Sanders looks. I, you know, I, she. There was, there were opinion pieces written. Uh, Adam Conover, he's the fellow that uh, does the Adam ruins everything. He wrote a piece about it, and he said she did what you're, you're supposed to do in comedy. One, you, you be funny, and she was funny. And he said, speak truth, truth to power, make people uncomfortable. Not all comedy is meant to make people uncomfortable, but there are some that does and and what she was doing is that's that's part of its goal to shake you up to get you, you 
maybe to look at things a little differently. Who knows? Uh, and she also, she's, uh, well, she's very, I thought she was very funny. Uh, some of the stuff really landed really well, <laughs> and some of the stuff was just I was cringing because it was I was feeling uncomfortable, which is what she was trying to do. Uh, she's worked for The Daily Show and for The Late Show, uh, or not The Late Show, uh, Late Night with uh, Seth Meyers, and both Trevor Noah, uh, the host of The Daily Show, and Seth Meyers had reacted to what she did, and they both applauded her, and, and Seth Meyers would say... He says, if, uh, if you think she's mean, well, that's because she, she is. You're right. She's mean. <laughs> he says, I was her boss. And you should hear what she used to say about me. And so, I mean, that's comedy. That's how it works. And so, it, you know, the, the pushback, well, let's think about this a little bit. Because this was something that I think both The Daily Show and Late Night, and I'm sure others have pointed out that uh, there's a certain someone who wasn't in attendance because I think he's a chicken shit. Uh, he was. He's been. He's. He would attack people for how they look, calling Rosie O'Donnell a fat pig. I mean, talk about a kettle calling a pot black, right? I uh, you know because he's not you know he's. I mean, he he could he could stand to lose a little, right? Anyway. Um, he's and he'd be just as crude and terrible to other people, and and it's just like, well, well, here you can dish it out. Apparently, you can't take it because he didn't go to the dinner. Because, well, <laughs> I think he might be a chicken shit. Anyway, um, this wasn't the first time that there was this kind of of a reaction to a comedian speaking truth to power at this this at this dinner. Uh, a few years ago, uh, Stephen Colbert got up there, and he he was doing his routine, and he was going after the then-president, George W. Bush, who was in attendance, because apparently he's not a chicken shit. And, he, his, and it, there was pushback after that. Did, did Colbert go too far? Was he being rude? And just what's uncalled for? Was it you know, that kind of stuff? All this, that you know, it really ruffled some feathers. Then, in fact, the next year, they had Rich Little, the impression impressionist guy, the guy from the the seventies that did impressions. He did Nixon and Carson. Actually, his claim to fame really. I mean, what really put him on the map was he figured out how to do Johnny Carson. Uh, he's and he said he he he's, he tells this about how he figured out how to do Johnny Carson. He said for years he tried to figure out, or I don't know, maybe not years, but for a long time tried to figure out how to do Johnny. And a lot of other mimics out there uh, were trying to figure out how to do Johnny, but they, it wasn't easy. And he said I, he said I finally got the idea when I realized I needed to. Uh, I, I needed to think of an ostrich while I was doing my impression of you. And he said that because an ostrich will move in a particular way that is reminiscent of the way Johnny Carson used to move. The way he'd move his head back and turn from side to side and these kinds of things. And, and Rich Little says, once I got that, I got your impression. I got, I got you. And, and then it's also said uh, quite often that when 
when a famous person you know gets gets uh, when impressionists do a particular famous person a lot it's it's usually there's one impressionist that got it figured out and the other impressionists are doing the impression that that one who figured it out is doing so when when rich little figured out how to do carson a lot of people afterward the carson they did was rich little doing carson and there was a there was a there was a guy i think it's David Fry, I think that's him. Uh, he did Nixon, and people would when they do. You know, I've heard this listening to Gilbert Gottfried's podcast, and they'd say you're doing that impressionist doing Nixon. There was a fella, and I can't think of his name, but he did uh, uh, Ed Sullivan. You remember really big shoe here? You know the Ed Sullivan thing. He's he created he got Sullivan. He got that impression, and everybody who does Sullivan is doing that guy doing Sullivan. And in fact, they said that guy got so you know in demand and so good at it and so recognized for doing the Ed Sullivan impression that Ed Sullivan himself began to sort of act a little bit more like the guy who did the impression of him. He started to act more like that than the way he normally did, I guess. It might be true. I'm a little young. I do remember some... Ed Sullivan a little bit, but uh, I was I was quite young in those days, and so getting Rich Little to do the dinner, well, that's not going to make anybody uncomfortable. <laughs> not Rich Little. I mean, Rich Little might make you uncomfortable if you watch him attempt to act. Uh, which brings me to this. And now, it's time for a Dimland Radio Pedantic Moment. Yeah, this ought to be good. Well, I hope so. Okay, you guys are aware of a television show called Hawaii Five-0. I know there's one on now, or at least there's had, there was one recently on, at least a reboot of the series, but I'm not talking about that one. I'm talking about the, the original uh, the original Hawaii Five-0, which starred Jack Lord as Steve McGarrett, and it takes place in Hawaii, of course. And let me, t- if you've if you've ever watched it, you know, I think it's on MeTV or Antenna TV or one of those TV sh- uh, stations that plays the the old TV shows. If you ever get a chance to watch it, it's well, you know, it's 1970s TV cop show. Uh, the best TV cop from the 70s television, well, there's two. There's Columbo, which is the best detective show, and and then there's Barney Miller, which is the best cop show. Yeah, just, just pure, pure cop show, it's the best. There are other decent ones, I suppose, through the 70s, but, you know, the Starsky and Hutch stuff and the, uh, I don't know, police story and all that, they, they were fine, but Hawaii Five-0, yeah. But, yeah. And if you, if you watch Jack Lord... It's a couple of things. He he was a very intense actor. He get really intense. He get really worked up and angry and oh, Dano, we gotta get him. And I was like, he's, I'm gonna put you behind bars. Oh, he was so intense. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna you know he'd, he'd have that kind of thing. And of course, he's got the hair. <laughs> I always thought when I was a kid, and you'd watch the the, the show, and they have the opening part where they show the uh, the tidal wave. I, 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 I thought that you know they were trying to do his hair to look like a tidal wave, which maybe they were. I don't know, but that's how he had that hair, and and he also, and it, maybe it's just me, 
But if you watch Jack Lord on on Hawaii Five O, if you watch him and just look at him, he's 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 reminiscent. His look is reminiscent of Boris Karloff. I swear to you, he looks a little bit like Boris Karloff. It's just there's there's something there. You know, it wouldn't take much to make him up, and he could look like Frankenstein's monster. It's, it wouldn't take much. And there's another thing about his acting style. He's one of these guys that's like a chin actor. Um, and I, I don't know if that's other people use that phrase or if there's something I came up with or what. I don't know. But a chin actor, meaning that quite often they, they act by pointing their chin at the person they're talking to. He, he seemed to do that a lot. He like, he'd put his head up a little bit and that chin would point out. Uh, he doesn't do it all the time, but he would do it a little bit. And there's one particular show. This was a, a this this here's the Rich Little connection. Rich Little played a killer that uh, was on that show, and he was supposed to be this sympathetic killer. Uh, he had a girlfriend or somebody, uh, a gal or somebody related to him. I can't remember how, what she was. He was quite young, who was killed for, from overdosing on illegal drugs, and he and he decided to go after the. Um, uh, the people that uh, got her hooked on the drugs. He was his character was a recovering addict, and he uh, and, and what do you know? He did impressions. He would enter. He'd go to the drug rehab center and he'd entertain the kids by doing impressions of Sidney Greenstreet and and James Cagney and 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 Edward G. Robinson. And I and I look and I realize this is the 1970s. Kids might be hip to those characters, but I'm I'm wondering. <laughs> but so he would do impressions for them. In fact, uh, when when McGarrett first meets the character, he's 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 following up some some uh, 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 informant of his got killed, was shot. Uh, Rich Little shot him, and McGarrett is investigating this, and it brings him to the he this his investigation gets him to this drug rehab center, and at the same time at the center. There's Rich Little doing his, his bit for, for a small audience of young people. And McGarrett's watching, and he's very entertained by it. And he meets the guy. They talk to each other, look face-to-face. -face. Now, it's important to remember, he met the guy, and they look face-to-face, -face, okay? They look at each other. They talk to each other. Not a long meeting, but enough. And then... <clears throat> so, this character that, uh, that Little is playing... Is obsessed with movies, and he's he sets up. He, he's going after these guys that, that he blames for the death of this this young woman, and he sets up the scenes, at least one of them, like a scene right out of one of the James Cagney movies. He sets it up that way. Why I don't know, but he did, and so he he he, he rents a motel room. And he gets the guy down to the motel room, he kills the guy, wraps him up like a mummy, puts him in the closet door, so when McGarrett gets there, for what, I don't know how he got the tip to go to this hotel room, but he did, and it opens the door, and this body, the guy's body falls out. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> um, Dano, you know, the, the, his, uh, his second-in-command guy, McGarrett's second-in-command guy, because he brings the, the hotel man, uh, motel manager to him. And this is older woman, uh, somewhat jaded. She's seen it all. He's like, you know, people usually don't... You know, it's, a kind, it's the kind of motel people show up for by the hour, you know, sort of like that. Or, you know, they're not, it's not... You know. So she does remember the guy who rented the room, but 
Yeah, he's so McGarrett saying, "What do you remember? What he looked like?" Okay, I wrote some of this down. <clears throat> he says to her, he asks her what he looked like. She says, "Look, I don't know. He looked normal." Uh, and so he says, "Well, how tall was he? Was he tall? Was he short?" And she says, "I, as compared to what?" And he says, "Well, was he compared to you?" And he says, she says, "Shorter than me, maybe taller. I don't know." Now, she did remember that he wore sunglasses, and she remembered the kind of clothes he was wearing. But otherwise, she was very vague as to what he looked like. I don't know. Who looks at people? She's, it was one of the things she said, you know, something like that. So he says to Dano, he says, well, have her, uh, get her put together with, our, the, with the sketch, the police sketch artist, to work with her. And I, right there, first thing I think is, wait a minute, you bring the police sketch artist to the crime scene? You do that? Is that something, don't you bring the witness to their station house and have the sketch artist work with her. Yeah, I, I, you bring this is somebody you bring along. So they well, okay, they do it. She she walks over to the side, she starts saying something about the his the guy's eyes and then the, 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 the attention moves away from them to Steve as he's doing whatever he's doing. And so remember, she couldn't think of what this guy looked like. You know, she didn't realize. What, I couldn't remember if he was shorter or taller. He looked normal. He was wearing sunglasses. And so, this sketch artist that she worked with must have been what would be considered a witness whisperer because he could pull information out of her that he produced a sketch. Now you've seen sketches of of suspects, right? You've seen police sketches. Some of them get a little more detailed. Some of them are very plain looking, uh, very generic looking. But but they're but they don't look like it like a portrait. They don't have that. They, it it doesn't have that quite that finished quality. Right, it doesn't have that. It has it, you know, when you, when the person's finally caught and you look at some of the the sketches that were that might have been done, and you say, well, I can see, and maybe that one's fairly close, but you know, it's it's yeah, you know, it's not. You're never going to look at it and say, oh, that's so and so. Well, that's some. Well, here, this is what turns out. Okay, so the sketch artist finishes doing this drawing. He actually he does two. One with the sunglasses, and one without the sunglasses. Now we don't see the one with the sunglasses. We see the one with, uh, uh, yeah, without the sunglasses. And when we see it, it's not a police sketch. It is an exact portrait of Rich Little. It looks exactly like Rich Little. It looks like. Whoever did that drawing, and this is what happened, whoever the artist was who did the drawing for the show sat down with a headshot of Rich Little and copied it. He drew it. That is Rich Little. There's no way. If you know who Rich Little is, if you know what he looks like, you see that drawing, you're going to recognize him. And McGarrett looks at it. Hmm. Remember, he met the guy, like the Earlier that day or the day before, he met the guy. Hmm. <laughs> he just looks at it. 
And, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'll put on the show notes at dimland.com when the show notes go up. I will. I did a screen capture because I, I found the episode. It's called, uh, uh, oh, jeez, I forget what it's called. Doesn't matter. Something about who the bell tolls for. Um, uh, uh, the bell tolls at noon. I think that's what it is. Uh, anyway, I, I'll link to it so you can watch the episode. And I'll put the, the image up there. And you will see it is an exact portrait. There's no way. There's no way somebody who didn't re- couldn't remember if the guy was taller than her or shorter than her is going to be able to give that kind of detail. And in fact, Dano tells McGarrett, he says, well, you know, she kind of changed her mind a couple of times and added things and remembered things and forgot things and did a couple of times. And, in, and also, in fact, she said, once this guy was done drawing it, she looked at it and she said, not a spinning image, but it's okay. No, no, no. It was a spinning image. I mean, that is the definition of a spitting image. <laughs> oh, you'll have to check it out when you get a chance. Uh, I will, uh, uh, right now, though, I'm going to have to take a break. So you're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. I'm going I'm to hose off a little bit here, and I'll be right back. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Your assignment is to listen to the buzz on Monday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Central on ztalkradio.com. This message will self-destruct. Remember, there's no hugging in the chat room. You're listening to Dimland Radio on ZTalk Radio Network. On the go and missing another one of your favorite Z-Talk shows? Now you don't have to. Simply go to the Google Play Store on your Android phone and download the Z-Talk radio app. The best part is, it's absolutely free. That's Z-Talk radio. Only found in your Google Play Store on your Android phone. Download it today. You know, if I can maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network.
Welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. Oh, and to put a button on the Michelle uh, Wolf talk, uh, I think somebody put together a meme that uh, sums it up really well, or at least makes a pretty decent statement to all those people, uh, Trump supporters especially, who were very upset at the way she talked at that uh, at that White House Correspondence Association dinner. Um, I'll 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 put this on the show notes page again. It's uh, at uh, dimland.com. Just click on the blog option. You'll find the show notes page. And incidentally, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, and you can follow on Podbean. And if you do subscribe on iTunes, and if you do like the show, give me a five star rating and a good review. That'd be nice. You know, that'd be nice. Well, um, somebody put it together. They took it's two pictures. It's two images. One image is of uh, two Trump supporters at a, at a campaign rally, and they're wearing T-shirts that, and f- as far as I can tell, and I've got a pretty good eye on this, uh, they are legitimate. They are actual T-shirts, not official Trump T-shirts. They probably made them themselves, or, uh, but they're professionally done. They, they, it's well-designed, and it says, uh, it says, and you'll excuse me, it says, uh, you know, Trump 2016, fuck your feelings. And they're two white people, well-fed, meat-eaters, and uh, they're smiling, you know, as happy as can be to wear shirts with such a a message, okay? And the other picture that's included in the meme is a picture of Michelle Wolf at that, you know, giving her roast talk. And uh, the words superimposed over the bottom of the picture is, uh, so I did. I fucked their feelings. I think that sums it up pretty nicely, don't you? Now, <clears throat> a couple of things just to, I don't know, be the gadfly guy again. You know, if this peace agreement and denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula takes place, if it does happen, if it takes hold, if it becomes a reality, which we should be cautiously optimistic. You know, it's a nice step. It's it feels good, but Kim Jong Un has done some shady things in the past. Has made certain overtures in the past and then backtracked on them. So we don't know. We don't know how that's going to go. But suppose, suppose the best happens, and they do denuclearize the Korean Peninsula. Perhaps North and South Korea reunite and perhaps you know Kim Jong Un decides to give up power and the country becomes a democrat a democratic society a democratic republic maybe you know like the United States you know maybe perhaps maybe these things happen should president trump get some of the credit for that his stance his tough stance to, to strengthen the sanctions against North Korea not you know just pushing there and in fact that they're supposed to be meeting with the with the president and kim jong-un are supposed to meet at some point soon could that you know some credit be given to him there's a lot of people that don't want to do it oh no don't want to give him credit for that i saw a little cartoon the editorial cartoons got the two the two leaders of the countries i think the president of south korea's name is moon jae in jae in 
I hope I got that right, but I'm not sure. If I got it wrong, I'm sorry. But uh, the two of them are making a peace agreement, and they, they, they show it to, uh, to a little cartoon version of President Trump. And they said, hey, we did this. And then Trump takes the thing, and he holds it up and says, I did this. Uh, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's a fair des- description, but does some credit go his way? I don't know. Should he win a Nobel Peace Prize? I mean, I know he's you know, I you know he's been in office longer than nine months, but uh, you know he hasn't killed as many people using a drone drone attacks as uh, his predecessor has uh, or had. But he hasn't done it yet. But you know, Obama got a Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, if we get a peaceful Korean Peninsula, isn't that worth it? I don't know, but the president of South Korea says that he should. Interesting, isn't it? Oh, and another thing. Remember when the president didn't say that Mexicans were rapists? Because he didn't say that. He didn't say Mexicans are rapists. What he said was that the illegal immigrants that are coming to America, he says, he says Mexico isn't sending their best people. They're sending rapists and criminals and drug dealers. That's what he said. And he said, and some of them are probably good people too. Yeah, it's not the best thing to say. I agree. It's not. It's not a good thing to say. But he didn't call Mexicans rapists. Okay? He didn't do that. Didn't. Nope. And, you know, so that's what people are using uh, part of it. And I'm not saying that he's not, but they're using it as a way to paint him as a racist. Okay? I'm not saying he's not one. I'm just saying that he didn't say Mexicans are rapists. He said that some of the people that are coming here illegally are not the best people from Mexico. That's what he said. That's, you know, look up the quote. That's what he said. But, okay, fine, fine. Let's get him on that, for that. Let's get on him. Let's, let's shame him. How terrible, how terrible you are. Should we do the same to uh, those comedians and those comedy outlets that have uh, done this for quite some time now, long before Trump? became president, uh, where it's it's kind of a long-standing joke to uh, um, uh, to make fun of uh, people who get their medical licenses, their education from Mexican medical schools. Should we not look at that as being just as racist? I mean, I was listening to The Dollop. It's a podcast, and they made some jokes like that. And I thought, huh. I guess that's okay. It's okay to denigrate the Mexican medical schools, but it's not okay to denigrate Mexican immigrants, illegal or otherwise. Illegal or otherwise. That was kind of turned into one word, didn't it? I don't know. Just some food for thought. Just just think about that. Okay, now I'm going to try and do this. I've only got a few minutes, but I'm going to try and do it. <clears throat> I may have to... Uh, well, okay, three cool things. Let's do that real quick. Uh, number three, uh, I learned to do a screenshot, screen capture. Actually, I learned that a while ago. On a Mac, I looked it up on Google. I thought that's kind of cool that I can do that. That's how I... When you see the picture of Rich Little, the, the drawing of Rich Little, when you see that, that's how I got it. I used this. It's, it's really neat. Okay, okay, okay. It's not that cool, but I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, number two, I got to wear a suit. I, I, it's the first time I wore my suit to an event because, you know, the, uh, the, the ceremony today for my, my in-laws. I got to wear my suit. And, and number one, of course, the military c- ceremony. That was, that was the cool, that was a yeah, pretty cool thing for the week, even though it's sad, all that. But it was very well done, and I thought it was pretty cool. And I hope you've had at least one cool thing happen to you for this week. Okay, here's this other thing. Songs, music. 
stuff like that. I'm going to talk about music. And no, I'm not going to talk about that one band. I'm not, I promise. Although they're really... No, no. <laughs> um, when I was in my early 20s, uh, I might have mentioned this. Um, I, there was a band from Wisconsin called the uh, Violent Femmes. They're still around. And when I was going to art school, and some years after that, uh, I liked the Violent Femmes. And, I mean, I liked their first album, and I liked most of their second album. But after that, they kind of got... Yeah, some of the stuff I was, I was just just didn't work for me. If you like them, fantastic. I think that's great. You know, but you know, it's some of the stuff just didn't work for me. And I was listening to one of the songs on that first album. Uh, that's a self-titled album, eponymous. Okay? That means self-titled. Um, and the song is called "Please Do Not Go." And I want to see in my. Early twenties, I thought that was you know irreverent, and it had a you know I, I it was goofy, I understood, but it, and it had this sexual angst to it because it's, it seems to me to be a song about unrequited love, where a guy is trying to beg some woman to not leave, and and but the, it doesn't seem as though they're actually in a relationship, and I. I listened to it more recently. Musically, what's going on in there is kind of interesting. But lyrically and the way the lyrics are delivered, I came to think of it, and you see, now that I'm 53, you know, when I was 23, I thought it was clever. At 53, I think it's just a pile of cloying shit. <laughs> Not musically, again, it's interesting, but this just there's a certain insipidness to this thing now, I the way I've said it now. If you like the song and you think it's great, and that's great, that's great. I'm not trying to talk you out of it. I'm just giving you my impressions. I'm gonna play about a minute and a half of it, just so you can see what happens in this song, and and then I'm going to compare it to something more contemporary, written by guys that are older than in their 20s. These are guys that have seen a little more life, and maybe that's informs their song a little bit more, I guess, maybe. I don't know. But um, here is just about a minute and a half or so, maybe a little more, of uh, Violent Femmes and their song, Please Do Not Go. You'll start. Days go on 
Now, as I said, most of the song is its interesting. It's musically. I like what's going on with the acoustic guitars and using an acoustic bass. I like how that sounds. And but I, just lyrically, the, the way... The, uh, what's his name? Gordon Gano, I think his name is, or something. The way... What he wrote there and how he sings... You know, I wonder why she... There seems to be... Uh, messed up pronoun use and plurals and whatever. It just, I don't know why. And then, of course, it gets to that last part there with the bye, 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 bye. Oh, folks. It just, when I heard that, I, I like the other songs on the album fine. And I listened to this one, I went, oh, man, this one just dropped way, way off for me. It really did. And it, it reminds me of the time that I saw them in concert back at this time. And, oh, when they got to that part in that song, uh, a friend of mine and I that were there, I won't go through the whole story, but we had been, gotten fed up by that point, and we just left. <laughs> we le- the crowd was just way over the top, too appreciative of everything that happened on stage. And the guys in the band were just way too encouraging of it. And then when they did the bye-bye-bye thing and the whole crowd waves, and oh, we just said, that's it, we're out of here. Now, okay, that's 20-somethings writing about love and and losing somebody. Okay, now I don't know how old these guys are in this next band. In their 40s, maybe, probably, maybe close to 50, I don't know. It's a band called The, the National. And this is a more recent song. This isn't from the 80s. This is actually from... I don't know, within the last 10 years. And this is a song called About Today. And I, you know, whenever I hear this song, it kills me. I, I mean, I just hear it, it just, I just, it just kills me. It is, it's an example of how you don't have to bash it out to the back row. You can keep it, you can keep it bottled up. And that's why the song is bottled up. It stays at a certain tone all the way through. And it's, it's about a relationship that's been, to, you know, people have been together for a while, and the fellow that's singing the song, his the character is feeling as though he's losing this person. And oh, the way it's done, this is how adults look at a relationship. Maybe that's the difference. Maybe that's why I prefer it. So here it comes. Walked away 
just watched you What could I say? Oh, that just kills me. How close am I to losing you? It's just, it's just, a, it's a, it's a knife right through the heart. It just kills me. That's how it's done. Ugh. Well, you know what that means. Good night. Adolfo. That's right. Good night. Did you know that Blucher, Blucher means glue? It's German for glue. I just learned that. Blucher is German for glue. And that's why the horses freak out. You've been listening to or, uh, Be Skeptical, Extraordinary Claims Require Extraordinary Evidence. This is your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. You've been listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network. And I'm reminding you, got it all messed up, but still, I'm reminding you to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now, a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for, for tuning us in. in. What? 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 Well, well I'm going well, to hell. hell.